Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now casting your series villain. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's show, along with all the latest news in nerd culture, we'll also be breaking down the season finale of The Book of Boba Fett. Plus, I'll be talking this month's Nintendo Direct, and we're talking AEW's latest big signing. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, so up first we got some Obi-Wan Kenobi series news. The big news is finally out starting May 25th on Disney Plus. We will be getting the long-awaited Obi-Wan Kenobi series starring Ewan McGregor and also the returning Hayden Christensen. On top of that, we got rumors of another actor joining the cast in Rupert Friend, who could be playing the Grand Inquisitor from Star Wars Rebels. Rupert Friend is most notable for his role in Hitman Agent 47, along with films like Pride and Prejudice and The Death of Stalin. If true, he would be joining a long list of stars in this series. However, the addition of the Grand Inquisitor in this series makes for some exciting news as it would be very cool to see him hunting down Obi-Wan and probably also lead to some live action scenes of him and Vader, though I'm just kind of speculating here. Oh my god, imagine if this show is really just like a low-key, like, Jedi Hunt series. Like, how fantastic that would be. I mean, because, I mean, with the inclusion of the Grand Inquisitor, you gotta think that we're gonna see the other Inquisitors also. So, I mean, and like, you know, if it's just like them and like Vader hunting down Jedi and like, you know, Obi-Wan's on top of their list. Oh my god. I mean, give me that and then some. Like, I'm all, I'm all in, man. <laughs> I mean, we did get those rumors of a possible rematch in this series between Vader and him and Obi-Wan. So, I mean, I could imagine like... Yeah, we, we actually saw concept art, right? Exactly. So I could imagine, you know, the Inquisitors fail to get to Obi-Wan and, you know, Vader, of course, steps in. Amazing. Amazing. The world we live in now, Christian. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, honestly, like after everything we got in the Book of Boba Fett, I guess I shouldn't be surprised at this point. I just wonder what other surprises they have in store and how many other animated series characters we could possibly ever get in these Star Wars shows. I mean, honestly, the sky's the limit. I mean, remember, there's a rumor, right? We're supposed to be getting like a young Luke and Leia. That's not official though, right? Like that was just a rumor? I believe so, but at the same time, I think we're getting, you know, Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru. So I, I could only imagine that we'd also see young Luke. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so surprised by young Luke, but like young Leia definitely yeah. threw me for a loop. <laughs> well, also in Star Wars news, Lucasfilms is reportedly developing a kid-focused High Republic Disney Plus series. As reported by Cinelinks, Disney is putting a children's live-action High Republic era show together using writers from the current board of authors behind the novelized series of Star Wars books, centered of course around the High Republic. Cinelinks also claimed the show is going for a Stranger Things in space kind of vibe, you know, featuring preteens and teens as its main cast. I was mainly surprised to see that it was going to be a live action series instead of an animated one, but the premise of Stranger Things in Space kind of throws me even more for a loop. I'm guessing just a band of kids solving mysteries in the Star Wars universe? Perhaps? I guess I gotta start reading all those High Republic books I got for my daughter, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I've heard little tidbits of what's going on with the series of late, and it sounds pretty interesting, so I really do actually want to check them out. Um, but, I mean, the concept of Stranger Things in Space sounds pretty amazing to me. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe this will be a great, like, gateway into the rest of the story. Because, I mean, at this point, there's a bunch of different books out, right? Because I know they also have, like, a bunch of, like, young adult books and, like, comic book series, right? So, I mean, they went all in with the High Republic. So I guess I really shouldn't be surprised that now we're going to start seeing series start popping up. 
So up next, we have some casting news for Marvel's Ironheart series. In the Heights, stars seem to be hot commodities these days as Marvel brings in Anthony Ramos, most known for his lead role in that film, along with starring in Hamilton, of course. While there are no official details on the role he will be playing, there has been speculation due to a recent casting call for the show's lead villain, though the description for that role was for someone in their 40s as Illuminerdy has reported, which clearly Ramos is not, though plans can always change and after all we did see him play an older version of himself in the Heights, though it wasn't very believable. <laughs> so it's also being reported by other outlets that while Ramos's role is unknown, um, a lot of sources are saying that it'll be kind of similar to how Jonathan Majors uh, was introduced as King the Conqueror in Loki, where he's expected to not only have a big role in like the Ironheart series, but in like future Marvel projects also. I could picture a type of like you know, power broker type character playing into this type of series um, easily. You know, that's definitely a character that could spread across multiple, you know, things, especially if, with everything they're building with all these Armor war shows and stuff like that. So you just had to bring up the power broker, right? Well, if it is actually similar to the power broker, I do hope that the reveals handled a little better. Um, but yeah, I, I could see that being the case. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Especially, like you said, with an Armor Wars series in the works. I mean, it does make sense. And we're also hearing that uh, Sam Rockwell is supposed to actually return as uh, Just a Hammer uh, in one of those series. So, Woo, selling us more shitty robots. <laughs> <laughs> I Say what you will about Iron Man 2. I love that fucking character, so uh. <laughs> I'm all for his return. All right, so lastly, Russell Crowe's joining the cast of the Spider-Man spinoff film, Craven the Hunter. Hollywood reporter claims Russell Crowe is joining the Aaron Taylor Johnson-led Craven the Hunter film over at Sony. Who could forget Crowe's Academy Award-winning role in Gladiator, let alone his roles in superhero films like Jor-El in Man of Steel? And he's actually currently slated for this year's film, Thor Love and Thunder, as he'll be playing Zeus. No details yet on who he'll be playing in the Craven film, but if you ask me, he's most likely playing the actual Craven the Hunter, Sergei Kravenov, while Aaron Taylor Johnson would be playing one of his sons. Or at least that's just how I would picture that film going. You know, I, I expect him to be in a fatherly role, but maybe that's just because I've seen him play fatherly roles in the most recent hero films. While that could be the case, I definitely hope not, just because Craven's sons are definitely a lot less interesting than him. I mean, he could just be like the original Craven's father also. Now, when I originally heard this story, I was kind of hoping that he would actually be playing uh, Craven's half-brother, the Chameleon. Uh, he might be a little too old for the role, though, but it's Hollywood, so, I mean, they're always fudging ages, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, I mean, with them doing this Craven film, I really hope that it eventually leads to us getting, like, a live-action version of Craven's Last Hunts, because it's one of my favorite all-time Spider-Man stories. I mean, it's super dark and gritty. I really don't think Sony's prepared to go to that place. Um, but man, I would just love to see it on film. I mean, if this film is successful, I guess anything's possible. I just don't foresee Sony like having the balls, though, to, you know, give us that film. All right, Christian, it's time to dive into the season finale of The Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 7, In the Name of Honor. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Book of Boba Fett series ahead. You have been warned. I will only negotiate with the head of the Pike Syndicate. You mean the one that massacred your Tuscan family and blamed it on a speed bike gang? You know it's true. In the grand finale of Book of Boba, it picks up right after the demise of Garza Whip and her now exploded casino. Standing in the rubble trying to figure out what to do, Boba, Mando, and Fennec, along with the more prominent members of the mod, Skad and Drash, try to formulate a plan. Mando delivers the news of Cobb Vanth and company deciding to aid Boba, though he really only has a hunch because they never really told him that they would actually join the fight. When asked what price Freetown expects for their aid, Mando states it would be for free in the case that Boba ends the spice trade altogether. While Fennec is not for this, Boba agrees as he sees ending the spice trade as the best option for bringing prosperity to Mos Espa. Now, Christian, they really haven't hinted at this, but do you think eventually Fennec and Boba are going to come to odds over some of the choices that he's making? 
because he's definitely not thinking like a crime lord at this point. I mean, by the end of this episode, they still seem pretty friendly and I could see Fennec just going along with it. But I think at some point she's going to want to do some heavier crime that Boba might not be into. Yeah, like I'm wondering if there's like just subtly planting seeds here and there. Mm -hmm. When discussing their plan for the upcoming assault by the Pikes, the mods disagree with abandoning the city and hiding within the palace. They suggest fighting from Fwip's now destroyed casino. Convinced by their speech, though, Boba decides that they will actually stand their ground in the city. So I'm glad the mod kids had this, like, brief moment because they really haven't had much. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this kind of justified their existence of the series, I guess. Um, I just, I don't know. Like, a good leader does need to listen. But at the same time, I just would like to see Boba, like, just exert himself a little more when it comes to leadership. And decision making, because it doesn't seem like he does that much, you know, at least throughout this series. Um, no, it just seems like he's going along with things half the time. Absolutely. And he always seems a little indecisive, right? I mean, Finnick, on the other hand, is always thinking like three steps ahead, though. So I don't know. That's, maybe it's just me. We then find out that the mayor has been hiding with the Pikes leader in their base. Cad Bane reporting in tells of his success in, you know, convincing the Freetown people to stay neutral. When the mayor asks if they would, you know, have to worry about anyone else like, you know, the Tuscan Raider tribe, we find out from the Pikes leader on Tatooine that he actually ordered the hit on their tribe and that it was his idea to frame the Nikto speed bikers that Boba destroyed with his gunship. Matt, Cad Bane is creepy as fuck in live action form. Like, he doesn't necessarily come off that way uh, in animation, but like, I don't know, man. Something about him is just terrified. But I dig it. No, it's it's like 10 times more menacing than when he was in animated form, for sure. It's like something with his teeth or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially when he, like, smiles. The mayor, though a scumbag, worries for his fine city, as he never expected how destructive this war he aided in would become. Cad, learning that Boba is unaware of who truly killed his clan, states that he has a plan in mind how to get Boba out of his base at Garza's casino. I love that right away he takes that information about, like, the Tusken Raiders, and he's going to weaponize it. Like, yes. he knows how to get underneath Boba's skin, you know, because of their history, and just throw him off his game. We transition over to Polly Mato, who is suddenly awakened to find an X-Wing is attempting to land at her garage. Fearful that it might be the cops, she spouts lies about having the paperwork for the New Republic all filled out, only to find out that who's in the X-Wing is none other than Baby Yoda, having been flown there by R2, clearly having made his choice to abandon Luke and join up with Mando once more. So man, when the X-Wing shows up, I was like, oh shit, we're gonna get like Luke Skywalker in another episode. So I was super disappointed when I saw it was just R2 and Grogu. And like... I don't know, doesn't it seem to you a little cold-hearted that Luke just sent Grogu off, like, to another planet <laughs> across the galaxy by himself? I mean, like, he knows Grogu's being hunted by, like, all the galactic remnants, right? So, like, I mean, is R2 really enough to, like, protect him? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, R2 could throw down in a pinch, but, I mean, it just feels like he should have been the one delivering Grogu to safety, right? I wouldn't be surprised if they make like some animated thing of R2 flying the X-Wing and like fighting someone on their journey to get there at some point. I guess. I, I, like, and then once they arrive to the planet, how does he know that R2 is going to find Mando? Yeah, I don't even know how <laughs> they know where Polly Motto is or who that is. I don't know. I guess I'm just still annoyed with the whole like choice situation also. Uh -huh. Like it just <laughs> doesn't make any sense for Luke to be sticking so rigidly to like the Jedi teachings, just knowing his own personal like journey and how much attachment actually helped him like prevail over the Empire. But yes. I, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll find out that this is all some kind of test you know, for Grogu that he's like set up. So I, I, I doubt it though. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> That's what I have to tell myself to get through this. So and uh, I know we talked about this last episode, but like it just doesn't make any sense for Luke and especially Ahsoka, like knowing their stories 
to be like staying so true to the Jedi teachings. You know, I mean, Ahsoka left the Order, you know, because she, they basically pushed her away. And then Luke, you know, went off and did his own thing once, I mean, Yoda gave him basically the same choice. You go save your friends, yeah. you can't continue your training. You know, I mean, <laughs> so I don't know why Luke would give Grogu the same ultimatum unless there's something more behind that, like, unless it is some kind of test. But maybe I'm just, you know, rationalizing. You know, for his poor decision making and him being yeah, a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I just worry that it's like writers trying to put in as many like homages to like the films as they possibly can. Like, oh, you know, Luke was given this choice. So let's give it to baby Yoda from Luke's perspective this time. And like them constantly trying to play around with those just older concepts to pop the fans. I feel like in the long run, that's just lazy and it's going to do the opposite with fans because it's really a lack of continuity for the character. No, I agree. And that's like, I just hope because what we got with that first episode we saw with Ahsoka in, in the Mando season where it really felt spot on with her. Now I'm a little bit concerned after seeing this show and seeing if they, you know, push her away from, you know, kind of her ideas that we've gotten throughout the, you know, Clone Wars and Rebels shows. When she gets her own series is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I, I guess only time will tell, right? We go back to Boba as Fennec starts to explain a plan for what they'll do as they wait for the Freetown's people to arrive. We learn of where each of Boba's forces have been placed. We got the Gamorreans in the Clatoonians clan territory standing guard at the starports. Black Chrysanthemum is in the Trandoshians territory, which I don't know why they would ever put him with any Trandoshians. Yeah, especially since he witnessed him, like, tear off one of their arms in that bar scene. Yeah. So, yeah, right? Bad planning once again, Boba, issues. right? <laughs> and then we got the mods who were defending the workers' district where Boba first met them. Fennec seems confident in the fact that they will not be taken by surprise as the Pike forces have yet to come in full. Having all their bases covered should help them as they wait for the people of Freetown to arrive. However, even with eyes across the entire city, Cad Bane arrives at Flip's casino much to their surprise. Cad here, with clear evil intent, still attempts to negotiate the way he did with Cobb Vanth, explaining that all will be fine if the spice trade is left alone and the Pikes remain in control of it. But Fett, feeling confident in their current strategy, quickly puts Bane's offer down and attempts to send him on his way with a message of them being outnumbered. However, Cad shares of his attack on Vanth and how the people of Freetown might not be coming. This starts an intense standoff between the two as Boba states he will only negotiate with the leader of the Pikes, only to then learn from Cad Bane that the Pikes were responsible for the death of the Tuscans. Fennec then immediately tries to calm down Boba as she knows if Boba goes into this fight emotionally, he will lose to Cad Bane. Boba eventually listens to reason and stands down and lets Bane walk off, but after this interaction, Fett is also alerted by the mods of an attack coming from all the clans that claim they would remain neutral during this war. Man, I thought watching these two characters interact together was just truly amazing. I love watching Cad, you know, push Boba's buttons, uh, you know, and just really testing like this new path he seems to be on. Like, is Boba's new ethos real, like this outlaw-turned-sheriff, or is this all some kind of act? But with that being said, when it comes to, like, the other crime families betraying Boba, I kind of felt like it was a little storytelling inconsistency. Um, because in the previous episodes, like, he talked about how he couldn't trust the other families, so it just felt like he would have some kind of plan in place for that. Um, because he feels here almost genuinely surprised that it's happening. So I, I just didn't get that. No, I agree because either one of them just would have had a plan for this, especially since both of them brought it up in conversation, you know, you know, FedEx stating, are you sure we can trust these guys in the previous episode and Boba being like, no, but in this one, they're just like, oh yeah, it's like they're turning on us. What's happening? That's what brought on them going out and getting help from Mando. Exactly. <laughs> this coordinated attack blindsides Boba's troops and also gets the Gamorreans killed, which forces Boba and Fennec to have to readjust their strategy. Fennec suggests taking out the head immediately, and Boba agrees, sending her to Mos Eisley to find the Pike's base. While I totally understand the plan here, I definitely felt like the rest of the episode was hurt by the absence of Fennec. 
I was actually like confused when we get to a scene later on because I didn't I completely forgot about her after all the rest of the action happens in the show. Well, I was kind of expecting her to show up at certain points and she just mm-hmm. never did. <laughs> the Clutunians having the mods pinned down find themselves in the crossfire of Fennec who takes a detour to dispatch all of them quickly, allowing the mods to escape back to Boba. With Fennec out, Dinjara and Boba are now alone with the Major Domo discussing the failure of their plans as the Pikes center in on them. Here we get a nice moment where Boba gives Dinjarin this kind of you know right to leave since everything is falling apart, but Mando sticking to his creed claims that he gave him his word so he'll be sticking around to the bitter end. I just thought it was cool the level of respect these two characters have for each other, but I guess it makes sense you know for two characters that have this foundation of like loyalty and honor you know so no, exactly i mean you could really feel this sense of brotherhood when you know mando said i'm not leaving yeah uh, between the two of them yeah the major domo after hearing the two bounty hunters plans to die in a blaze of glory and honor chimes in with his ability to negotiate on boba's behalf in hopes of coming to an agreement that not only saves boba but his own ass in the process. Boba seems to go along with it, giving the Major Domo a written list of terms to their surrender. With the Pikes ready to fire down on the burnt establishment, the Major Domo goes out to them to negotiate. At first, he seems proud to grovel for Boba's safety, but as he reads on, he quickly finds out that Boba has no plans to surrender, and that this was all really just a well-played distraction tactic as Mando and Boba come jetpacking down on all the Pikes. So this was awesome, finally getting to see like Boba in action, watching him and Mando jetpack, um, you know, and just tear through the pikes. Uh, this was definitely the moment I've been waiting for, you know, for the entire series, really. Uh, and it didn't really disappoint. Um, I wish maybe they had a better plan, like, because I hate to be that guy, but, <laughs> you know, they have jetpacks on. So are they really pinned down, Christian? Not really. Couldn't they, they just could be fly jumping away from roof to roof or, or just something. just fly away <laughs> to another location in the city? Yeah. But regardless, this was highly entertaining. I mean, this was the space version of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, really. The two baddest Mandalorian armor-clad warriors bring it to the Pike Syndicate using all their rockets and tech they got. But the numbers are against them and eventually becomes way too much for our two heroes. But luckily for them, the people of Freetown arrive with vengeance in their hearts and park a tank-like land speeder in front of Garza Whip's casino. So you totally knew this moment was coming, but it was still fantastic regardless. Um, but I did start getting concerned here that Cobb Vanth was actually dead uh, because they didn't really even, you know, mention him. Oh yeah, they just said he got gunned down and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, but because you remember after last episode, we were like, he probably survived that. You know, it, yeah. looked, it looked like he took a shot to the shoulder, so. I mean, a laser blast is a laser blast, don't get me wrong. But. Yeah, yeah. No, they definitely shot it a certain way to make it look like he possibly lived, mm-hmm. so. And as we found out at the end of this episode, he did, so there's that. After Freetown's arrival, we get the return of the mods as they make themselves big-ass targets as they rejoin the group. But they're not the only ones to regroup with Boba, as Black Chrysanthemum barges his way through the pikes, nearly dying in the process as he takes on all this laser fire. I was so scared Chrysanthemum was gonna go down here. Uh huh. <laughs> and I hate to keep on bringing up old westerns, but this was the moment the episode really started to feel like the Magnificent Seven, which I I totally dug. <laughs> I and I don't mean to harp on anything but again the the mods showing up and being clear targets after seeing after seeing mando with, get with like shot over and bikes. over again yes and they're standing in front of the tank they're not like behind it taking cover immediately uh-huh. they're just standing there not getting hit it drove me a little insane to see then black chrysanthemum run in getting shot by like five different dudes when these bright, colorful guys are just there. Well, if you're the Pikes, though, like, who are you more concerned about? Power Rangers on True. mopeds or this, you know, giant Wookiee with fucking taser knuckle things? And just out of nowhere, the Pikes suddenly pull back during the fight, only to be then replaced by these Scorpionic Annihilator droids that were used during the Clone Wars. These massive and shielded anti-personnel tanks quickly overwhelm Boba and his crew. Even Boba's jetpack missile can't penetrate their shields and forces them to all scramble. I mean, yeah, these droids were horrifying. Um, honestly, like, the, the entire battle that ensues with them felt like that one impossible level in a video game that takes you, oh, like, yeah. weeks to finally pass. <laughs> 
because it just felt like the Pikes weren't going to be enough of a match to really feel like a true threat, you know, to Boba and gang. Boba and Mando then try to do everything that they can to take at least one of them down, but ultimately fail. Even the Darksaber wasn't able to penetrate their shields. Boba asks Mando to stay behind and distract them as he heads out to get more reinforcements, much to the confusion of Din Djarin. I was disappointed not to see, you know, Din Djarin use the Darksaber to block at least one one laser. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, in all fairness, he's not trained with the Darksaber, True. so... <laughs> If Grievous can do it, anyone can do I it, okay? Guess. I'm just happy he was able to fucking lift the thing. Din Djarin successfully separates the massive droids, but one continues on after the Freetown people. Black Chrysanthemum is almost able to actually break through one of the shields using his sheer strength and electro knuckles, but gets kicked away by the droid. Meanwhile, Din Djarin runs right into Polly Mato, who seems completely unaware of the battle ensuing as she rides an RIC droid. With the massive tank in tow, Mando gets Polly Mato to quickly turn around and just go. Now riding with them, Mando finds out that Grogu has actually returned to him as well. And while he's extremely happy to be reunited with Grogu, he is also now terrified of losing Grogu in this battle. So man, I mean, this was a real heartwarming moment. Like I'm not completely dead inside, I guess. Um, uh -huh. I mean, my stomach did like sink though when I realized that we we're gonna have to be with uh Polymato for at least the rest of the battle. <laughs> uh, but she ended up not being so bad here. I guess it was okay. Fair enough, but I think the moment was more about Grogu doing a forced jump into a hug. <laughs> no, I mean absolutely. It's just I don't know, that the last episode with Polly in it just left a bad taste in my mouth, I guess. The RIC droid eventually gets caught up in, you know, the laser fire and, and flips Mando, Polly, and Grogu right into the air, with Mando making the fatherly catch of the year right before the Super Bowl. But as the tank droid barrels in on them, the music drops and a Rancor appears with its proud owner, Boba Fett, riding its back. Yes, this was fucking awesome. I'm sorry, you don't get more fucking metal than Boba Fett on a <laughs> Rancor. <laughs> This is what nah, this, this is whole series was leading up to, and uh -huh. damn it, it paid off. <laughs> the attack of the Rancor on the droid is enough to weaken its shield, allowing Mando to break in using the Darksaber and take out one of its guns. Yet not enough to decommission the droid completely, Mando is almost squashed by it. But Grogu steps in with the Force, pulling one of its gears free, destabilizing the droid, and giving the Rancor enough time to come in and finish the job with a simple order from Boba to do it. You would think like Boba could have gotten like Machete to like pilot his ship. You don't know, bring that yeah. along too, right? Because uh -huh. <laughs> that definitely would have like helped in this situation. But you know, whatever. Is he just hanging out there? Are we wasting Danny Trejo? Like, could he be in this kind fight? Of. I thought he'd show up, but I guess not. They only had it for one episode. While this is all going on, the mods with the Freetown people devise a plan to snipe the pikes and distract the giant droid that's been chasing them, all in order to give the Freetown folk more leverage in this fight. But this heroic plan just gets interrupted by an epic battle of kaiju scale as Boba and the Rancor come barreling in and taking out this monstrous tank Droid. Like you said, this totally felt like a, a King Kong movie or something. Yeah, as a Godzilla fan, I was living for all of this. But at the same time, this scene felt like it was setting up like a big heroic moment for the Freetown people and the mods working together. Yeah. So like out of nowhere for the Rancor to be the real savior. I, I was I think I was just hoping for a little bit more out of the mods because we've barely gotten to see much of them throughout this show where it wasn't just more of showing off their style. No, you're right, because it felt like it was the city folk, you know, and the country yes. folk coming together as a community. And yeah, and then you don't really get that paid off here. But once again, at the end of the day, I mean, I'd rather see the fucking Rancor, you know, destroying shit. So <laughs> <laughs> you could keep your storytelling bullshit, Christian. <laughs> Now with only the Pikes to deal with, Boba and his Rancor make easy work of the Pikes' forces, but all that changes when Cad Bane steps in. Using a flamethrower to scare off the Rancor, Cad Bane gets Boba thrown off. Cad just has ice in his veins, and the fact that he comes eye to eye with the Rancor and he doesn't flinch tells you all you need to know about this character. No, exactly. Just watching him walk up 
no fear just lights up lights up the fire like, i didn't even think that would be enough to scare the rancor but he just he just knows that that's all it takes Ad doesn't seem to understand boba's change of heart as the two of them stare each other down once more in a moment of passion boba claims this is his city and his people and he will fight for them but cad isn't convinced this older boba can defeat him at all cad easily gets the drop on boba as he is just that quick boba's armor keeping him in the fight but the barrage from Cad Bane becomes too much and eventually Cad removes Boba's helmet giving him a lecture in fighting for others versus fighting for himself. Feeling the power of the tribe flow through him, Boba uses his gaffy stick to trip up and disarm Cad before stabbing him through the chest. So I'm glad we got this moment. I thought it was one of the best moments of the entire series but I could have probably used a few more lines of dialogue to just add some context of like the significance of their relationship maybe you know mm. like for you and me we understand you know who they are and what they mean to each other but like for i don't know like a casual star wars fan i don't know if it would necessarily resonate the same and there's nothing wrong with adding some depth to what's happening you know in this like confrontation but i also like I don't know, I would have liked to have had a deeper answer for Boba of like why he's doing what he's doing. Um, because I feel like we never really get into like his true motivations throughout the series. Like it's always kind mm. of implied in a way. Um, but I don't know, we'll talk more about that later. But overall, I thought this was well done, you know, especially the touch of Boba using the gaffy stick to deliver possibly the death blow. Although I'm still questioning whether or not Bane is actually dead. Because, you know, with the beeping at the end, it, it seemed like they made a point to show you that it was still beeping. You know, they kind of lingered on that. Uh, and with, you know, Cad, I mean, he's a guy who has a plan for everything. So I wouldn't be surprised if he survives somehow. Fucking, you might have a clone out there somewhere. <laughs> Just activated. Or who knows, maybe, you know, his little droid friend or another group of bounty hunters. The Rancor, having run from the fight Boba and Cad were having, starts to wreak havoc on the city of Mos Espa. The mods and Freetown folk, not knowing what to do, just start firing upon it, though Mando states all they're doing is scaring it more. Mando tries to take control of the situation after giving Grogu his favorite ball from the Razor Crest that he's apparently been keeping on himself. Sinjarin isn't in the least bit successful in taming this beast as the Rancor tries to eat him, only to find that Beskar isn't chewable. I did find myself laughing my ass off when the Rancor did chomp down on Mando's helmet, though. So, <laughs> I don't know if that was supposed to be intentionally funny, but it definitely worked for me. Luckily, Grogu is able to calm the beast using the Force as he brings the Rancor to a sleeping state after once again stepping in. Grogu, of course, sees this as an opportunity to take a nap as well. I don't think we'll ever see anything as adorable in Star Wars as Grogu cuddling with a Rancor. <laughs> with the battle in Mos Espa 1, we cut over to a panicked Pike leader and the mayor of Mos Espa sitting along with all the other crime family bosses. The Pikes claim that they are leaving after their failure, much to the other's dismay, now having to deal with you know, the aftermath of the war that they have lost. While the groups argue though, two blaster shots can be heard outside, and it isn't long until the blaster fire penetrates the hut, killing each leader one by one. The mayor trying to make a break for it gets caught up with a rope and dragged to the ceiling, killing him. The leader of the Pikes, now alone, gets stabbed in the back as we finally see that it was Fennec assassinating them all. Yes, this was straight up cold-blooded gangster shit, Christian. <laughs> Fennec playing the role of the Enforcer, just like El Neri from The Godfather, you know, getting shit done and getting her hands dirty when needed. Um, I loved the hanging of the mayor. Just a beautiful touch watching his like legs tangle. <laughs> Maybe I'm a sick fuck. Uh, I, I do <laughs> wish Bobo was at least present for this though, but I get it in the long run because, you know, the Don has to keep his hands clean. I just thought at least the leader would have been brought to Boba or something. Like at the end of this episode we would have saw Fennec and him walk into a chamber and there he is you know, standing over the Rancor pit or something. Yes, that would have been a nice touch. I agree 100%. Now proudly walking through the streets of Mos Espa, Boba and Fennec are met with bows from the townspeople who are grateful of Boba's victory. Boba states maybe he's just not the right person for all of this, but Fennec claims if not us, then who, as they regroup with Chrysanthemum and the mods. 
Yes, I mean, this was Boba finally getting the respect that he wanted. Um, and it really goes to show you that it was never really about being a crime lord for him. It was more about, you know, him being sick of working for monsters. It really feels like the real reason he wants to rule is more about protecting his people than about greed or power. Which again, makes sense for a character who's now lost, you know, two versions of what he thought would be his family, you know, from his dad to then the Tusken Raiders to now want to protect his, his, you know, his new tribe being most Espos. Yes, yes. Panning up to the stars and playing his theme, we see Mando and Grogu flying away in the N1 fighter. Grogu bangs on the glass, clearly begging for something, which Mando says no, but, you know, eventually he caves and sends the two of them into sublight speed to end the Book of Boba. Like, don't get me wrong, like, I don't mind this scene at all, but, like, I mean, you could have at least ended the season on, like, Boba. I mean, yeah. <laughs> come on. It's like the people who don't truly respect Boba is, is the fucking writers of the show. Right? Right. <laughs> it's supposed to be Boba Fett's show, not Mando's. So... I don't know, that, that that did kind of bother me. But before the show comes to a full close, we got a post credit scene showing Cobb Vanth in the back to tank with the mod doc ready to put back together Cobb Vanth. This also landed a little flat for me. Like I was hoping to get something with like maybe like Crimson Dawn, you know, instead we get Cobb in a back to tank. And I mean, after this series, if I go another 10 years without seeing another back to tank, that would be fine. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm glad he's alive. He could totally come back like Brave Star and shit. But I don't know. This was kind of along the lines of what we got with like the Hawkeye mid credits scene all over again. Oh, yeah, I was definitely expecting something more along the lines of like, you know, the rest of the Pike Syndicate maybe sending in new bounty hunters to go after him. We could have got a boss sighting that you were looking mm. for so much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or like, you know, the Crimson Dawn finding out that the Pikes have failed, you know, and them sending yes. in the bounty hunters. So because I don't know, like, I felt like this moment could have been placed anywhere throughout the entire episode. So mm -hmm. but I don't know. It is what it is. But all right, that does it for our breakdown. Before we move on to our final review of the season, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just around the corner and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming. With our exclusive offer by Go Going to manscaped.com and using our promo code 20amazing for 20% off plus free shipping. Everyone knows nothing can ruin the mood on the most romantic day of the year like an untamed bush. So make sure your bouquet is on point this year with Manscaped. The holidays went by so quickly. Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more special. The number one product in this package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. And get this, the trimmer's advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate balls. It even has a 4000K LED spotlight so you could shave everywhere your heart desires. Also, did I mention it's water-resistant too? Folks, I'd like to propose making February 13th a national holiday as National Shave Your Balls Day. Who's with me, folks? I think this is one holiday that men and women can get behind. This package also includes the Weed Whacker, nose and ear hair trimmer to whack all the worst of your weeds. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts, their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs to keep your boys stored comfortably. To complete the perfect package for your package are liquid formulations like the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Start your day off with the deodorant for your balls then stay cool with the toner to keep you feeling your best all day and all night. These formulations will also have your balls smelling like a king on the big day. And don't forget to smell good not only around your balls, but all over. Made with their signature scent, the Manscaped Refined Cologne will complement your collection with smell perfection. 
Manscaped created their products for a night just like this and will make your V-Day date say, wow, great set of balls you have there. So stop what you're doing and go to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING. Your balls and lady will thank you. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20AMAZING at manscaped.com. I can't stress this enough. It's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using our promo code 20AMAZING. Make sure you join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. It's time to give our overall thoughts on the actual Book of Boba series. Damon, what'd you think? So all in all, I enjoyed the show. Um, I love finally getting to know the character, especially during this chapter of his life. You know, from his reemergence from the Sarlacc pit to the final scene, I thought it was a hell of an arc for Boba. It's been interesting watching, you know, him grow. Uh, we definitely got to see a side of Boba that I wasn't expecting to see. Uh, you know, instead of this, like, ruthless criminal looking for his next big score, we got a man with a redefined purpose in life. A man really looking for a tribe or a family. I just wish they did a better job of really connecting the dots when it came to, like, his motives during the show. I mean, a lot of it's implied, but I don't think they did a great job of really putting them in the forefront. Um, Boba's the kind of character who's not going to express that on his own. I mean, he's Clint Eastwood, right? But <laughs> that's when the writers need to give the audience moments that do the talking for him. I mean, it felt like hmm. that's what the whole Tusken Raider arc was trying to do. But it felt like that kind of got lost in the shuffle at the end. And while I love getting Mandalorian Season 2.5 all of a sudden in the middle of this series, I think overall it kind of hurt Boba's personal arc. Um, but I mean, damn it, I loved every second of those two episodes. <laughs> and they were just <laughs> breathtaking and like filled with some of my favorite Star Wars moments ever. So I just have a real hard time complaining in the the end of the day uh when it comes to those episodes but it is a bit jarring to have your main character just disappear you know <laughs> for two straight episodes and i mean with the structure as is being so uneven with like the past and present narratives running side by side it just it didn't help in the long run um i just wished in the finale they could have given him a little bit more of a watershed moment um, of like, here's why, like, here's the bottom line. And this is what the series is really trying to say. Um, they flirted with it a little with, you know, the interaction between, you know, Cad and Boba. But I just wish they would have done a little more. Hopefully, like the next time we meet up with Boba, like down the line, we'll get that. Um, because I don't think his story's over at all. I would love to see what Tatooine looks like in a year out, you know, with Boba on the throne. Is it prosperous like never before with Boba being like this man of the people? Or does it end up attracting even more scum and villainy, just trying to take advantage of the situation? But with that being said, all in all, I'm going to go ahead and give Book of Boba Fett a B. So once again, while I do feel like they came up just a little short when it came to Boba's story, I do have hope that, you know, this is just the start of it all. And we'll see it further develop in either a second season or in another series. And honestly, with that being said, like when it came to the overall Star Wars of it all, I think the show actually ended up exceeding my expectations with just some fantastic universe building, and, you know, from the Tuscans to the Huts to, you know, seeing the start of Luke's Jedi school and like Mando and Grogu. I just never imagined we'd get all that we did. I mean, it was pretty damn amazing. And I, I just want more. I mean, Damon, we saw the custom build of an N1 fighter being you know, modernized for Mandu. How could I not fall in love with everything Star Wars that they gave us in this? But at the same time, as we talked week after week on the show, this last episode had to do a lot to really glue all these you know awesome things that they did together, and it kind of didn't. It left me feeling more 
like this show was too disjointed to be, you know, its own little thing called the Book of Boba, especially with Boba being kind of the side character by the end of it for me. Um, you know, Mando took over as soon as he showed up and I he is the big character. He's their big money maker. I get it. You know, especially I, I understand why they want to start off Mando season three with Grogu and Dinjar and back together so they can start their journey together. I mean, those are your two big money makers. But at the same time, I think it affected their ability to tell this story for, you know, Boba, you know, to the extent that they probably were going for. You know, I saw at the beginning of the show that there were so many elements of, you know, hey, he wants to put this family together and, you know, he wants to bring, you know, that kind of element that he learned from the Tuscan tribe to, you know, being a bounty hunter. And when the show kind of pivoted away from that, we didn't get it back in the season finale. And that just kind of it just left the story needing a little bit more to make sense to me. I, I don't get me wrong. Rancor destroying the city. Loved it. You know, fucking Bo Boba and Mando working side by side, loved it, but it didn't work as an entire series. You know, I, I have to, it, I have to put the fan aside a little bit and like accept that you know this didn't necessarily work as a story on its own. Uh, would I say watch it? Yes, absolutely. Any Star Wars fan should definitely check this series out. Uh, you know, there's there's so much to love in it, but I am hoping that this isn't something that we see continue where. They seem to be focusing more on what might get the fans more excited for something rather than like telling a more congruent story. Because we've seen them pull stuff off with Mando where he doesn't have to say a damn thing in any scene. And we understand exactly how he's feeling, exactly where this scene's supposed to go and how the story's put moving along with him just moving his helmet around. You know, they could probably achieve that same feeling here with Boba with what he was trying to achieve, trying to build a family. But uh, at the end of the day, I still loved everything we got. So that's why it's still getting a B plus. I think it would have gotten into that A position if that final episode really, you know, hit home and like brought everything together. You know, I think there was parts there where like with Cad Bane, I almost saw like was what he was saying something that they wanted to make it seem like, you know, Boba would be um, doubting himself. And maybe that's why he's talking about, like, I'm not the one that should be running this at the end. But I it, he seemed too happy in that moment as well. I didn't get that same emotion from him. So I, I don't I don't know where they're going with Book of Boba if they're going to do a season two. Maybe I, he just really likes fruit, Christian. <laughs> I, I guess. Do you think the series would have been better served? It was called like the book of Tatooine instead of the book of Boba, where it's more of an anthology series and it's not necessarily like focusing just on Boba as a character and just more of, you know, the story of Tatooine. You know, I think that would be a great idea. Tatooine's such an important planet to Star Wars, even though it's so far in the Outer Rim, so much shit seemed to happen there and getting to learn more about Mos Espa, Mos Pelgo and Mos Eisley probably would have been a great idea. And Boba would obviously be a big part of this story because if they would have restructured the story a little bit and it would have taken much to make it more all-encompassing about like you know the people of Tatooine and obviously you still have Boba kind of in the center I I feel like half the issues we have with the series would go away mm -hmm. and it would be a little more forgivable when they get sidetracked and you know start telling these other stories like you could have had an entire like Cobb Vanth story and have an episode where you you know tell the story of the people of Freetown you know what they're up to and then it feels perfectly fine when we go on you know Mando's journey so I don't know I don't know I mean I would love to see like a Star Wars anthology series eventually and who knows maybe that's you know in the plan somewhere down the line I do like the idea of them telling this kind of like congruent story where anything can happen in Star Wars where it's like you know Mando can show up in all these shows and you know pretty much have his own episode or you can do this with any of these characters moving forward like it's almost it's almost more than the cameos we've ever gotten in any of these mcu shows or anything like that where it just feels you know even more connected as a show and i think that's something that they could play around with if they move forward and like have you know boba now is just going to be able to be in mando season three for an extent if he wants to be you know, that, that's what they want to do with those types of characters, play around with them more. No, I mean, absolutely. And I wouldn't doubt that's 
not what we're going to see in the future, mm-hmm. you know, you know, with the Ahsoka series, with the possible Bo-Katan, you know, series. So, you know, I'm sure all these characters are going to, you know, their stories are going to all kind of intertwine. It's just like you don't want to lose the focus of the main character of the series. And that's what I feel like ended up hurting them in the long run, you know, with this series. Maybe they just title it like The Adventures of Mando and Friends. <laughs> Uh, how long do you think until uh, Baby Yoda finally starts talking? Oh, I hope that never happens. <laughs> I don't want that at all. They're never going to find, like, the perfect voice for him, right? Uh-huh. Like, they need to keep him, like, almost, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Maggie from The Simpsons. Oh, okay. Right? Like, I feel like Maggie's never talked, right? I haven't seen no, The Simpsons in years. Was, like, yeah. <laughs> probably, like, Treehouse of Horrors or some shit. Yeah, no, that doesn't count. <laughs> So I, I, I don't want to ever hear him talk, honestly. I mean, if it does have to happen, maybe it's in like, you know, the series finale or something. Uh-huh. You know, and he, said, well, he says mean, Mando's name or calls him dad or something. <laughs> Just to break everyone's heart. Yes, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> However, I do want to see him wield the Darksaber in some form or fashion, even if he has to like create a Yoda-sized version of it. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I would be fine with him just getting his hands on Yoda's old lightsaber, honestly. Uh-huh. Well, for a moment there, when he's going to go pull whatever gear he takes out of that giant droid, I thought he was actually about to grab the Darksaber or use the Force to, like, wield it up to attack. Or what if he had the green saber on him the entire time? Possible. But alas, it didn't happen because Luke's a dick. <laughs> He was just like, I- I'm done with you. Go. <laughs> R2, get rid of this thing. You pick the fucking armor? Get out of my face. <laughs> That's what it felt like. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> but like I said before, I feel like it's going to end up being all part of some kind of test for Grogu. So... I'm still holding out hope. I, I have no hope. I think we're, that's the last time we see Luke for a while, at least. <laughs> I mean, you could be right. Maybe they're just starting to lay out the groundwork, you know, for grouchy ass Luke in Last Jedi. Again, if he just, you know, learned from his own lessons as a Jedi, it would all make sense. Uh-huh. But, uh... <laughs> but anyway, that's going to do it for this season of Book of Boba Fett. Join us next week as we review the first season of Peacemaker. And of course, let us know your thoughts on Book of Boba in either the comments or our website, wherever you want to talk to us. We're on all social media platforms at Amazing Nurture. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming, we got another 40-minute showcase from Nintendo for February. In the latest Nintendo Direct, Nintendo fans were greeted with plenty of upcoming titles and ports coming to Switch. One game in particular that I know will become a favorite right off the bat is the official sequel to Wii Sports in Nintendo Switch Sports. Coming out April 29th, the much more responsive and easy-to-use Joy-Cons will bring back classic sports for the next gen of Nintendo consoles. Tennis, bowling, Chambria all make a return, as well as some new games in soccer, badminton, and volleyball, which all will be available for online multiplayer. They also announced a playtest, aka beta, for next weekend, February 18th through the 20th, so you may actually be able to try this a little bit earlier than its initial release. Keeping in the theme of sports, we see Mario lacing up for some footy in Mario Strikers Battle League. This 5v5 game brings power-ups to soccer, which should lead to some chaotic matches among friends. With online play, they also announced the ability to make your own soccer clubs in the game as well with a world leaderboard. This title comes to you hot this summer on June 10th. But coming even sooner than that will be Kirby's continued adventures in Kirby and the Forgotten Land. This time around, they showed off a new mode in which Kirby bites a little more than he can chew. Yes, we're talking about the new mouthful mode where you suck in large vehicles and or objects to zoom around and control them for unique attributes and actions throughout the game, which will allow Kirby to have different actions and different things he can do in different environments. But as strange as this sounds, the look of it all just seems quite impressive and makes for new gameplay that will definitely make this game a must-own for Switch owners. 
But anyway, you'll be able to get your mouthful of action this March 25th. As we mentioned before, new ports are also coming to Switch as well, as the game Portal 1 and 2 are coming together in the Companion Collection, plus the titular No Man's Sky will have Switch users going out into the final frontier with the culmination of all their efforts over the last five years. I actually do want to get back into No Man's Sky since I haven't touched the game since its first year, and now all it really does is sit in my Steam library. All in all, this all made for a decent Nintendo Direct. I felt like they actually had some stuff to show off, and at the end of the day, that's actually what's most important. You know, showing off gameplay at these things. Sometimes these events can actually be pretty dull, but I was excited for the party-like games that we're getting in Switch Sports and Mario Strikers. At some point, I do got to figure out some way to do a Switch stream for all of you guys, since, you know, there's two Switches actually in my house. But until then, you can check out what we're playing live every Thursday through Sunday as we go live on Twitch with all the latest titles and games and, of course, classic games as well. Now, let's move on to wrestling. But before that, here's a quick word from Dig on America podcast. Hey guys, this is Jason Dutch with Dig on America podcast, and I'm here with Big Hops. Do you have and to say your name so weird? I <laughs> want me to say. <laughs> and I'm also here with Mikey Famine, the extruser. Excuser. Do it over. No, it's staying. No, it's staying the way it is, because this is the way the show is. Big on America here, we explore how American history, policies, and sometimes even our pop culture created the social and political issues facing Americans today. Uh, a little bit about us. I'm your resident brother of the league. <laughs> I love America so much that I demand she be better through constant criticism and protest. Thank you. And uh, in your Obama voice, Mikey. I don't oh. like Obama. Of course you don't. You also don't like bathing and healthy meals. What Dig on America is, is it's a healthy criticism of a country. We, America's already perfect. You should know we're perfect just like my hands. Well, I mean, a lot of people might say that, but those people probably haven't gone to school or brushed their teeth today. So um, <laughs> we're going to ignore them. But yeah, check out our show. It's unbeholden to any um, corporate overlords, except for Jay-Z, the Bilderberg yeah. Foundation. George Soros sponsored. George Soros, show. the Clinton yeah. Foundation. Absolutely. And uh, let's not forget Emotep. <laughs> <laughs> you can check out our website, digonamerica.com. You can check out all of our audio. We're on every single fucking audio podcast. Podcast app there is out there, Pandora, Spotify, etc. Subscribe on YouTube. You can check us out on Twitch. Big on America. And the oh wait, 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 guys, guys, look who it is. What's he doing here? Is that? That can't be. That's a switchblade, Jay White. Oh my God. All right, so this past weekend, Tony Khan teased a huge surprise for this week's episode of Dynamite, and he definitely didn't disappoint. We got the debut, the in-ring debut of the Limitless Keith Lee. I mean, a huge signing for, you know, AEW, uh, no pun intended. Uh, I think everyone kind of was predicting that they would definitely be picking up Keith Lee. Uh, mm -hmm. We just didn't know when and where he would debut. But he was part of the qualifying match for the Face of the Revolution ladder match that's happening at the next pay-per-view. Isaiah Cassidy got to bask in his glory as he got fucking thrown around that ring. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> that was a hell of a deal that he took. I mean, Cassidy uh, did a superb job of just getting over Lee um, and his, like, move set. I mean, Lee's a fantastic talent, but having someone opposite of the ring of you who can, you know, take all those spots and, you know, make you look like a million bucks sure does help a lot. Oh, yeah. Both members of Private Party were perfect people for this matchup. I mean, seeing Mark Quinn get, you know, powerbombed on top of Isaiah Cassidy <laughs> and then on to the apron, just uh -huh. absolute madness. That Cassidy's little scream as he's uh -huh. getting tossed in the air. <laughs> I mean, Private Party really, they don't get enough credit. And I'm mm. hoping that they do eventually end up getting a push. Um, you know, I know that, you know, Quinn's been hurt of late. So mm -hmm. um, he just made it back. So hopefully they're more featured predominantly in the tag team, you know, division. By the way, back to Lee, I'm sure he's going to be a huge part of, you know, the world title picture or, or even the TNT title, um, you know, from here on out. Um, you know, he just brings so much to the table as a talent and everything. And it's just great to see him 
being able to be himself now. Yes. I mean, WWE really like stripped him down and took away everything that made him special and unique in the ring. So it's just satisfying to know that, you know, AEW is going to really let him be himself now, as we saw, you know, on Dynamite. I mean, you talk about the future, but just upcoming when he's in that ladder match, he's going to be across from like Wardlow in that match. And I think that's going to be some incredible spots with those two alone. No, that's right. They did. Right. MGF at least announced that Wardlow was going to be part of the match. I don't know if he had a qualifying match yet. Right. Um, He's I'm, definitely going to be sure, in it. <laughs> I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, they're going to, you know, have mm. a bunch of different qualifying matches. I don't even know how many people are usually in that match, honestly. I mean, they always have like one crazy gimmick match every pay-per-view at this point. So <laughs> they all kind of blur together. Because uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm getting this match confused with one of the casino ones, right? Like the casino it? battle royal, probably. Uh, that's, is there a ladder in that one, though, too? I don't I don't think so. I think they've done a ladder match at that event, but I don't think I'm just picturing like a giant poker chip that they have to grab or something. Am I wrong? Did there I is one that? that's like that. You're not crazy. I think they've done a ladder match where they had to get the poker or chip. Or is that off the women's the... match? Maybe the women's like has a has a gimmick match like that. The women's division. I don't know, man. It's anyway. <laughs> but you're right. They have a crazy gimmick match every pay-per-view. The fact that we can't keep them straight is not uh-huh. a good sign. So <laughs> I think they need to go back to the drawing board with some of these. Mm. So uh but yeah, no, I, I'm curious to see like, you know, what Keith Lee's future holds at AEW. Um, you know, whether they're going to keep him kind of in like the TNT title picture or if they're just going to elevate him right away and put him in the world title picture. Because I feel like Keith Lee would make like the perfect like first opponent for like a newly crowned, you know, uh, world champion MJF. Mm. You know, because I definitely foresee him winning the belt this year. No, that is a good point. I was thinking like, you know, his history with Adam Cole would be a good thing to play with. But definitely if uh, MJF has the title. Those two could definitely go at it because, I mean, Lee is also pretty good on the mic as well when he gets his opportunity. So I definitely like to see them spar. But the surprises weren't done for the night. Uh, We had finally the long rumored first appearance of the Switchblade, Jay White, going through that forbidden door. I mean, even with a lot of people speculating that Jay White could show up in AEW this year, I was still pretty surprised to just see his jacket appear on the show. And it really goes to show you how, like, over he is that his jacket mm-hmm. got that big of a pop, <laughs> right? Yes. Because only a few wrestlers could really get that kind of reaction from a crowd, you know, with their back turned. So I don't foresee Jay White having any issues getting over with the AEW crowd. And they tend to be a smarter crowd, you know, in general, compared to like a more casual WWE fan base. Mm-hmm. I definitely think he's earned his reaction. You know, he picked up, you know, becoming the leader of the Bullet Club. No, absolutely. But I mean, he's stateside. So you're never quite sure like who watches, you know, New Japan or not, where I feel like an AEW audience is more likely to at least have some working knowledge of mm-hmm. like the New Japan product. Whereas if like de- they did the same kind of, you know, debut for him in WWE, I don't know if it necessarily goes over as well. No, um, nor do I think Jay White would get over with Vince in general. <laughs> I don't know, though, because if you look at his ring work, it is very like old school, like 90s heel. So, I mean, Vince might eat that shit up, honestly. But yeah, uh, to the Young Bucks' surprise, Jay White ended up showing up while they were attacking Rapunky Vice. I guess Adam Cole actually invited him, uh, and he ended up throwing Trent Beretta up against the truck and just kind of walked off. Later on in the show, Cole confirmed that he was the one who actually invited Jay White to AEW. The Bucks were annoyed because Cole didn't let them in on his plan. Uh, mm-hmm. And they also mentioned how they, you know, them and Kenny were feuding with Jay White and uh, the Bullet Club over in New Japan. So, um, but then Cole mentioned something about, you know, if you're Bullet Club, you're Bullet Club for life. So um, we'll see where that storyline all ends up leading to. I guess the story behind the story is Tony Khan actually botched his Forbidden Door tweet, uh, you know, kind of teasing this week's uh, Dynamite. Uh, he 
all of a sudden realize that, you know, a free agent couldn't be walking through the Forbidden Door. That just doesn't make much sense. <laughs> so uh, he scrambled and he ended up getting White to debut last minute. I guess he said um, it was something that was finalized uh, as of Sunday that week. So I'm sure it was probably in the cards at some point, but because of his botch, he scrambled to, you know, make it happen sooner than later. So in the long run, it ended up being the fans who are the winners, you know, of the night, I guess, all due to Tony's misuse and overuse of, you know, the forbidden door terminology, I guess. Which is absolutely fantastic. But with like, you know, Factions like Chaos now showing up in AEW, and now it's seeming like the Bullet Club could be invading. I've also seen stuff from like Kylo O'Reilly saying that, you know, Red Dragon still has, you know, communication with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I think it'd be interesting if, you know, Red Dragon plus Adam Cole were to join up with the Bullet Club and become AEW's Bullet Club faction. That could also work in New Japan as well. Well, we do know that over on Impact, we did have Jay White team up with G.O.D. Mm -hmm. um, against uh, one of uh, Impact's factions, which I can't honestly remember the name of right now. And it's four o'clock in the morning, so I'm not going to even try to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually have an Impact wrestler, uh, Chris Bay, who's officially part of that faction now. So, I mean, who's to say you're not wrong? I mean, maybe Adam Cole ends up joining, you know, the Bullet Club. Um, and that's where this whole storyline's going. I'm just hoping that, you know, Jay White's not just here for a cup of coffee. I do hope that they get their money's worth, you know, with him. Because I would love for him to eventually face off against, you know, Omega again. You know, when he returns. When, exactly. Whenever he returns. It's going to be, there's a lot for him to do when he gets back <laughs> at this point. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> but anyway, like I mentioned, it's four o'clock in the morning and I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I'm sure Christian is too. So we're going to cut this episode a little early this week. We apologize. Uh, we'll be back next week talking all the latest news in the world of wrestling. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, I'm out of Red Bull. Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, next week we will be reviewing the first season of DC's Peacemaker. And of course, all the latest in nerd culture news. Plus, as we mentioned earlier, we'll be talking everything going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Dirt Show. Kill him. Kill him now. I shouldn't. Do it.